Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Manisha Krishnan, senior writer for Vice Canada. Hey, Jesse. Manisha, we're going to talk today about uh, talk radio and its fragility on issues of race in Vancouver, where, where I find you today. And we're going to talk about uh, the CBC's coverage of the Liberal government's uh, revocation of people's citizenship. Sounds good. Manisha, I am a observant enough Jew that I am fasting today on this Day of Atonement. Okay. And uh, and therefore quite lightheaded, but I'm a shitty enough Jew that I'm also working on the Day of Atonement. Are you going to be hangry in this interview? Like, are you going to be really grumpy? I'm starting this episode hangry. Okay, so I haven't eaten yet today, so we're on par right now. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Mark S., Kim Delamere, Patrick Leduc, Martin Van Waveren, David Patterson, Matt Calrick, John McNabb, and Bill Hullett. Bill, why did you decide to be awesome? I like Canada Land because it's journalism that puts the truth 
and the public interest ahead of people's careers and the corporate bottom line. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Manisha, you, you work for Vice. You don't have to worry about invoicing anybody, but uh, have you ever done the freelance thing? Um, actually, no. I'm going to sound like a dick saying that, but I've always been lucky and had jobs. The rest of us have had to send invoices, whether you're doing this as a freelancer or a small business. And you know what? It may be for good reasons that at some point in the future, you'll launch your own small enterprise or large enterprise, and you too will have to send invoices. In which case, I want you to know about FreshBooks, who have completely retooled their product top to bottom. It is easier to use than ever. It is now almost like your mission control center for like, am I making money or not? Who owes me money? What do I need to do? You, you can just sort of check in on the business side of your business, and FreshBooks will take care of everything under the hood. They're essentially like having an accounting department, and you'll get paid fast and you will save time that you can put towards running your business or freelance practice. Check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand because you can try it out for free for 30 days first. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you and you will be doing this show a favor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Manisha, what you're about to hear is a segment from a train wreck of an interview on CKNW Talk Radio, AM Talk Radio in Vancouver. This is host Ian Power talking to Denise Balkasun, who is a Globe and Mail journalist uh, and former guest on this show and the host of the Color Code podcast that people should check out that the Globe and Mail is putting out. And he had Denise on to talk about his feelings about race. And what I come across on almost a daily basis is people that are visible minorities that have moved to this country 
that don't want anything to do with me. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is me. Maybe, maybe I'm so butt ugly they don't want to talk to me. But for goodness sakes, have you seen how how beautiful my children are? They don't want to talk to my kids either. But how do you know that they're immigrants? Well, I know they're immigrants because their language is very fluent in their mother tongue. Well, I have lots of friends who are fluent in non-English languages. Well, I guess you caught me on that one. I plead complete guilt here, and, and now I guess I'm just a racist now. Is this what oh, you're well, saying? I didn't say that. Well, no, no this is what I... you're inferring. No, that's You're inferring that I have a lack of understanding of what the issues are. Wow. Um, yeah, I really, that was definitely a car crash. I feel like she handled herself really well. Totally agree with what he said at the end there about how he has no idea what he's talking about. I don't even know. Oh, my God. Like, part of it is I know that there's this um, aggressive talk radio thing where you sort of try to whip up a, I'm going to argue with you. You're here to argue with me. And I know that he's doing that. But I feel like he was being super genuine there. You could tell that was so personal to him. And if you listen to the, the rest of the interview, he just keeps bringing up how he gets dissed at the community center. Like, nobody at the community center will talk to him. And you can tell that this really bothers him. So I think it's personal for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think he was genuinely expressing his feelings, but I, I do not feel like he was being genuine in his objectives. This idea that what Ian Power wants is to go to the community center and have all of his multi-ethnic neighbors sort of like, you know, just put their arms around him and welcome them into the, the their hearts and into their lives so that he and his kids, like, I feel like there's something deeper going on there about just this guy's irritation that he's living in a community where people don't speak English and uh, God damn it, why don't they do that? And I don't know. I don't want to make any kind of uh, like what he said is enough. You know, you don't have to go any further than the absolute angry entitlement that he expressed throughout that interview. Yeah, he's sort of masking it uh, behind this idea that his feelings are hurt. But really, I mean, I wonder what his intentions were with even inviting Denise onto his show because it didn't really seem like he was willing to uh, challenge any of his own perceptions or prejudices. It just seemed like he wanted to vent at her about you know, what he sees as an immigration problem or like too many immigrants being around him. Yeah. I mean, there was like a lot of race baiting going on and there was a lot of him, like he was waiting for the opportunity to play the like, oh, so I guess you're calling me a racist card. Yeah. Um, Which came out of nowhere. She was asking perfectly reasonable questions that he just didn't like. And so he sort of just flipped it on himself and got really defensive. It was such a bizarre interview. It was awful, and CKNW has since apologized for it, but I think it was instructive. I think that there's more that we can do than just sort of pile up on Ian Power, who, you know, certainly deserves it. But I think that there's something to glean from this experience, and I think it kind of came across in the like he, he he very quickly dispensed with Denise and she wasn't saying things he liked and he got rid of her off the air and she was just like a champ she was cool as a cucumber and not having it and bringing up really important things that were very germane like white fragility and he got rid of her and then the rest of the segment much much more time was spent talking to his callers and i was very curious to hear if the callers would hear what i think forget about your politics what any reasonable person listening to that interview is like he was a rude asshole to his guest and you kind of wanted to hear somebody just say that and, and this is what we heard instead good evening chris i was very disgusted by your uh, last guest how so well she seemed to be jumping to conclusions and going to this pc nuttiness that the color of your skin determines whether you say something matters 
Kirk in Maple Ridge, what did you want to say? I'll be very frank with you. I don't like multiculturalism. I never have. I like the American ideal, which is not always met, of a melting pot. You come to America, you jump in the pot, and you try like hell to be American. Gary on the Sunshine Coast, uh, go right ahead. Kudos to you for being patient enough and mature enough to be able to listen to the verbal dissertations that were coming out of her mouth. You know, everybody's got their own way they want to look at that, and she's completely... So, is Vancouver just hella racist? I mean, is that just this guy's listenership? Or, like, I I don't know. I, last time I was in Vancouver, I got in a cab, and within the first 10 minutes, the cabbie assumed that he could have a conversation with me where he, like, was like, oh, welcome to Richmond, or so I call it Lichmond. It was just assumed that he could bro down with me like that. Like, I got weird vibes in Vancouver. I don't want to generalize the whole city. I don't know. Uh, Vancouver, I mean, I'm from Vancouver. I grew up here. It's uh, pretty segregated. Like, there are sort of the little racial enclaves. um, And I found going to school and stuff, you definitely notice that some of those groups don't really mix. And like going clubbing and stuff, you would literally have clubs that you knew, okay, Tuesday night is brown night at so-and-so, or Thursday night is Asian night at this place. Like you would sort of just know that. Asian night was a known thing? Yeah, like at certain clubs. um, That was like a legitimate thing when uh, when I was here in my early 20s. But I think that there is... Like, I don't really think it's fair to sort of pin those comments and even his interview on Vancouver. That white fragility is just something that we're seeing more of. And we're seeing it across Canada. And I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of it in the States, too. That's why Donald Trump is sort of as popular as he is. And so, I mean, as someone myself, I've written about a lot of racism and racial issues And if you go into my mentions right now, because I wrote a piece on reverse racism and how it's not really a thing, like racism against white people. And, you know, it's literally been weeks at this point of people telling me to hang myself, calling me the N-bomb. And so there's a certain segment, I think, of white people who are really sensitive right now. And I think that the more we talk about uh, oppression and racism, sort of the more defensive some of those people become. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm hopeful that it's it's almost as if we're seeing reactionaries because they're reacting to something because things are changing and we are starting to actually scratch at this stuff. So it's not like just the bigots are rising. I mean, they are getting louder, but I think that they're getting louder because of something. And that's why I almost feel like that CKNW segment, like it almost exposed something that like it, it actually like otherwise you're having conversation about this and you're saying, oh, white fragility. And people say, well, that's a myth. But then I've never heard a more fragile sounding guy than this guy saying, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm ugly, but why don't people want to be my friend? Like he sounds very fragile and sensitive and he feels very threatened and and I think it's good to get at this stuff I don't mean to like do any kind of like virtue signaling of my own I want to consider like for those of us who had the privilege of just being the default and considering without any kind of reflection on it at all oh yeah we're mainstream Canadian society this is obviously the norm and everything else on top of it is some kind of alteration or other flavor but we're the default and that's getting challenged and You kind of have to stop. Well, do I mind that? Do I feel threatened by that? Like, that's a good thing to actually get out in the open. And and Denise Spelkasun followed up by writing about this. Like, let's talk about whiteness. Because in Canada, it's all well and good to say, well, people come here, you know, they should at least, you know, conform to the culture somewhat, assimilate a bit. Like, but then you have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Beyond, let's say, just the baseline of like, it'd be good if we could all speak a common tongue. 
And Canadians can't actually get to that answer. What does it mean to be more Canadian, you know? I grew up in Canada. I was born and raised here. I, I don't give a shit about hockey. I don't like the tragically hip. I don't like camping. Um, the list goes on of sort of these cliches that I don't personally um, adhere to. And it's like, does that make me less Canadian? You know, I, I don't know. There's really no standard definition. I don't like those things. Does that make me less white? No, it makes you cooler. <laughs> to me, it seems like the evolved position would be like, whatever you define your culture by is that's your fucking business. You know, that's fine. It's good. No one can take that away from you, but it's your fucking business. Like, like maybe that, like, that's where you want to get to with all this. I think in Canada, I mean, the one thing I will say, it's a good thing that people are actually talking about race finally, because I think for so long, we just have a tendency to not talk about it at all. And you look at what's going on in the U.S. and we sort of otherize them a lot. But we frankly do have a lot of those same issues here. So I'm glad that people are sort of um, are actually bringing it, it up. But yeah, I do wonder when I hear stuff like more immigrants should be fitting into our Canadian values or we should have a values test. I'm like, OK, is that just a racist sort of dog whistle? Because it kind of seems like it is like it just seems like euphemisms to me for people should be more white. Yeah. And I just want to take a second to like point out that one caller, how confused he is about what a melting pot actually is. Just to use the shitty analogy of the melting pot, and I know it's cringy to, you know, I'm not trying to reduce people to food, but that's what people say. It's a melt. So what's a melting pot? If I've got a big pot of like bland beige cream of mushroom soup and I throw in a bunch of like bright red beets, the beets don't become white. That's not how it works. The analogy might actually be instructive, you know, like if you actually use the analogy. I, I don't cook. <laughs> <laughs> Manisha, we are going to note duly a few things that came to our attention this week. May I begin? Sure, yeah. Michael Geist uh, has atipped the Ministry of Heritage. Professor Michael Geist, internet uh, law professor at the University of Ottawa. What he found out is that in their whole CanCon consultation, they're trying to figure out how to save the CanCon funding scheme that uh, funds our TV production, basically, movie production and TV production. And what is being discussed internally within Heritage, as they do this public consultation, which supposedly is like they're open to any ideas, well, they've been very specifically focused on a few ideas, and all those ideas are various forms of taxes. It seems like, based on what he uncovered, they are committed to finding new monies to continue the subsidized system, one of which would be to put HST on when you subscribe to Netflix, which, like, you know, okay, I guess it does put Canadian Netflix alternates, you know, not show me is gone, but I guess they're still crave at a disadvantage. They have to charge HST. Netflix doesn't. So let's make Netflix pay HST. And then we'll take that money and funnel it back into the production of new Canadian TV shows that no one will watch. Okay. Okay. Another idea is to directly tax Netflix, not like a general tax for all foreign online services. Mm -hmm. The first one would be, it's just like, you know, an HST that would cover all online services. Now this one is just like, if you're doing video online and this is pretty targeted at Netflix, we're going to tax that specifically and put that money back into Canadian content. And then the third idea, which is like, they're all terrible in my you know estimation, but the third idea is the worst, just to tax your internet service. And I'll remind everybody that our internet service in Canada is like among the most expensive in the Western world, especially when you consider the speeds that we get here and that the price of internet, because it is so high, creates a digital divide and excludes people from the internet, which I think is like, it's not about your access to Netflix video. It's about your access to like the medium through which we communicate as citizens and right. organize politically. Yeah. So 
where's the fourth option not creating new subsidies to create CanCon in a scheme that has not produced content that people have been very eager to consume? That did not get turned up by uh, Michael Geist's A-tip, and I wanted to duly note that. Okay, cool. You kind of lost me there a little bit, but noted. (laughs) What do you got? Obviously, everybody has been talking about Donald Trump and his Access Hollywood tape. Um, And I noted that a lot of media organizations are referring to this tape um, as a lewd and vulgar conversation. And I think it's just really important to to note that what he was actually describing was um, sexual assault. And I understand that perhaps that's not as easy to get into a headline, but I think that it should be stressed um, pretty early in some of the stories that we're seeing, because I think to just describe it as a lewd conversation is sort of minimizing what he was actually saying. Well, that is an excellent point. And actually, like, props to Anderson Cooper for putting that to him in the debate. Yeah, that was so, so pointed. I was I was so happy he did that. Duly noted. Uh, finally, I want to uh, bring up sort of an addendum to the recent episode of Canada Land where I spoke to Mike D'Souza of the National Observer, environmental investigative reporter. He actually digs into the backroom dealings of the energy industry and government, and he found out stuff that was fairly scandalous uh, when it came to the pipeline regulator and Energy East and Jean Charest working for one of these energy companies. There was almost like a retributive article published in the in the National Post that was written by Vivian Krauss, who people may remember from Mike Duffy's diary. And to try to summarize this, what Krauss says in her response is that uh, she doesn't contest any of the facts of Mike D'Souza's investigation. But what she says is, D'Souza writes for the National Observer. I'm going to uncover their funding. The National Observer had $20,000 from Tides, this American uh, charity. Tides gets their money from the Rockefeller Fund. And the Rockefellers are trying to kill the Canadian oil sands because they have their own fossil fuel interests in the States. So they're not really environmentalist warriors. They're just trying to fund this anti-oil sand stuff to protect their own. And Soylent Green is made out of people and on and on and on. And the Post ran this. And then Mike D'Souza and the Observer came back with a very dramatic response that they are, they are trying to be silenced by the Financial Post, National Post, and by Vivian Krauss. And that she is the one who is, who's uh, got the conflict of interest because she gets paid $10,000 to go and give speeches to the oil industry and her whole income, primary source of income comes from the oil industry. So they're just, it's this mutual who is more conflicted and dirty and, and tied into the funding of these two sides, the anti-oil sands or, or the oil companies themselves. And for the Post to run this Vivian Krauss thing with no disclosures about her involvement, I think was a bad editorial decision. I think that the way that the National Observer, they're now putting in a complaint to the press council about this. It's like they wanted to crush me. I'm under attack, said Mike D'Souza. But I care a lot more about what the revelations are and where the money comes from than I do this uh, attempt on both parts to discredit the other and shut the other out of the conversation and say that these things should never have run. I do question the Financial Post's judgment in running that, but there was information in there that, that I have no problem people knowing where the National Observer gets their money from. I don't think they have any problem. I don't know why any of these things shouldn't be published. That's all I wanted to say. I'm going to take a moment to thank our second sponsor, Manisha, ShipStation. Because one day when you are running your empire and you have your own business, it's possible that you will also be shipping items. Weed. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, when you're in your global uh, cannabis business, <laughs> you are going to be getting orders from everyone, from Etsy, from Amazon. <laughs> it's possible in this in this future, this utopian future that we described, that you're going to have a lot of different platforms where you're selling your wares. And you're going to have a problem then because you're going to be spending a lot of time logging into those different platforms, getting the orders and figuring out how to ship this stuff out. Well, Manisha, in the time that it took me to present this scenario to you, you could have got an account with ShipStation that would have instantly sucked all your order data from all those different platforms, put it all in one handy app and spat out shipping labels that are compatible with Canada Post, UPS, FedEx, everything. They've got Canadian shipping on lock. They know the cheapest solution. All of this is why ShipStation gets a five out of five, a perfect score from Shopify users. It is the number one choice for online sellers. And I have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. You can try ShipStation free for 30 days with a special bonus. Only if you use the offer code CanadaLand. Do not wait. Go to ShipStation.ca and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand. That is ShipStation.ca, offer code CanadaLand. Manisha, I want to talk with you about this CBC story about the liberal government revoking citizenship of uh, an unprecedented number of... I guess, formerly Canadian citizens. Mm-hmm. It's resulted in a bit of controversy. Did you catch the original story? Yeah, I did read the original, yep. Headline was a CBC story, Trudeau government revoking citizenship at much higher rate than conservatives. Liberals say that revocations target fraud, but government accused of hypocrisy following Mariam Monsef case. Mm. This is by reporter Evan Dyer. So it's tied in to the Monsef case, the way that it's presented by the CBC. I don't know. What did you make of the story? Uh, When I first read it, it seemed alarming, especially when you look at some of those numbers um, that they presented. Then I read some of the criticism around the story and Vice actually did a follow up story uh, just with a bit more context. And so it's actually it doesn't seem to be that closely tied to, well, relevant to what happened with Monsef, but also I don't think it's as closely tied to refugees um, and uh, sort of Bill C-24 and terrorism uh, charges or convictions as maybe the CBC originally presented it as. And that's that's definitely how I read it at first. Um, So it seems to be more tied to these investigations into fraud coming to fruition. And that's a huge distinction, right? Yeah, I had a very strange experience with this. I mean, often you'll read a story that seems like a really big deal and then somebody will do like a point by point takedown and then the story is left totally deflated and you you think, wow, mistakes were seriously made. I went through those first two phases of this. The story hit me really hard. Mm -hmm. Then I read uh, this this, uh, tweet essay by Howard Anglin, who is, uh, I think, the primary source of the Vice response piece, where he goes through it and says, this piece is, is, is really flawed. And then I kind of wasn't sure if I necessarily agreed with Anglin. And I also felt like, okay, what Vice put into context, which was not disclosed in Anglin's uh, tweet essay, I mean, maybe he doesn't have to, it's just assumed that on Twitter people know who he is, but he was he was Jason Kenney's chief of staff when Jason Kenney was the immigration minister, and then he w- later worked mm-hmm. in the PMO, he's a lawyer and a policy guy. I think maybe I should you know, actually just give a little bit of detail of the story itself. What CBC reported is that C-24, this controversial bill the conservatives introduced, they only used it for like seven cases to revoke people's citizenship. And since CBC reported the Trudeau government has like made 
ample use of this and 184 revocation decisions uh, without legal hearings have taken place since uh, November 2015. So since Trudeau's been in power, they have stripped 184 people of their citizenship and those people did not get a hearing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Anglin is saying is, yeah, but they're just finishing what we started and good for them. What he's saying is we began to investigate a lot of fraud of this citizenship process where tons of people were claiming the same address. You got to say that you lived in Canada for three years as Mm -hmm. a part of this process. People were lying about that and they were using the same fake address. So of course the government's got to do something about that. And it was, it takes time and it just so happened that it was when Trudeau was in power that the full force of this and the investigation concluded. And that led to them revoking 184 people's citizenship But be that as it may, I do think that it is relevant to look at this in the context of the Harper government versus the Trudeau government and with the context of C-24, because the big distinction here is that those people had absolutely no opportunity for a hearing or any kind of process. That's what C-24 robbed them of. So this conservative government law is being used by Trudeau like the conservatives never did and in a way that never would have before been possible. That's a news story to me worth telling. I think that it gets maybe a bit more muddy when you get into the Monsef parallel. I do think that it's still absolutely a story. And what it, what is it, 184? Is that what you said? 184, yeah, yeah. decisions, uh, which 90% of them actually, just to clarify, 90% of the decisions resulted in a negative finding in the loss of the citizenship. So not all of them <clears throat> lost their citizenship, but 90% did. I mean, losing your citizenship, obviously that's a huge deal. And I, and I do tend to, I see where civil uh, liberties organizations are coming from when they're saying that people should have some sort of due process. So... Like 100%, I I can see that side of it. And I do think that it's still a story and still worth questioning whether or not they're, they're applying this law fairly. I think so as well. And I also would make a case that I think it's one of these things where the Monsef thing is just so controversial and like radioactive at this point. People feel very strongly one way or the other. And I think that quite rightly, there is uh, a lot of allegations of racism, you know, in this very ugly way, like it's getting politicized, like we may take away Maria Monsef's citizenship. Yeah. So that liberals are really in a very defensive crouch about this. And, and I think, you know, with some justification, very critical of anyone who would politicize this person's very citizenship. Uh, by the same token, what if anything is the parallel? And Howard Anglin says there's no parallel or he suggests there's very little parallel because, you know, hers is a refugee case. And But in fact, a couple of these cases that fell under review mm-hmm. uh, that CBC was writing about involved people who came here as infants mm-hmm. to Canada who have had their parents and their own citizenship questioned and possibly revoked. We don't know if they're the ones who had it revoked, but 90% chance, I guess, of that because the parents lied about something. Uh, in, in one case, uh, criminal record in mm-hmm. the home country. That is a very similar, not exact, but a very similar situation to Maria Monsef's. So if the liberals want to say that there's just no question that Maria Monsef's citizenship should be off limits to any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of redress or revocation, then yeah, there, there may well be hypocrisy in them applying a different standard to other people. Yeah. And I think that's probably where the due process and the hearing part would come in because Perhaps the majority of these cases are related to fraud, but still, if you have one or two in there um, that are similar to her situation, which is something that she clearly had no control over, I mean, she was a child, those people definitely deserve to have their side be heard, uh, just as she does, or she would if her citizenship was, was actually being questioned. 
Yeah, I, I I agree, and I feel like the liberals have to wear this stuff. They took this these middle road positions with a lot of really shitty conservative legislation where they wanted to. Well, we're going to revoke parts of it, but other parts are okay. Right. Well, you know, now now that's having consequences, and and it is fair to hold them accountable to that. If there's a theme to the different things we're talking about today, it's like. I want to get to the guts of these conversations and not exist at this level that so much of the discourse is at right now, which is like, you're not allowed to even talk about that, or this story is off limits, or don't even go there. Within each of these stories, there's information and factual matter that is of merit, and we, you know, that we need to inform the conversation and not just tell the people why we can't even have one, you know? Yeah, well, because then it's both sides are just in an echo chamber. And I feel like we're just seeing a lot of that lately. Which actually echoes for me, you bringing up Trump. It's not like we're immune up here. Yeah, no, not not at all. Seriously, go into my mentions <laughs> if you want to be depressed. Manisha, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Email me anytime. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at canadaland. Can we tell people where to find you on Twitter? Is that a good idea? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Manisha Krishnan. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Canada Land is syndicated and made available for free to community and campus radio stations across this country. That is handled by Russell Gregg. If you haven't listened to this week's imposter listen to this week's imposter actually listen to commons as well we are putting out some excellent podcasts this week commons had a fantastic episode about what it's like to work in a war room as a political strategist and the imposter did an incredible interview Aliyah did an incredible interview with tanya tagak listen to both of those podcasts if you like what we do please support us Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.